Please listen carefully. Welcome to the Cultural Stew Podcast, coming to you from the Goat Factory Media Entertainment Studios. We are your cultural media recommendation podcast, giving you our take on what we think is worth carving your time out for, and also what we think you can pass on and maybe go cut that lawn instead. Warning, we use adult language, and there may be spoilers ahead. Hello, and thank you for joining us for episode eight on this April Fool's slash Easter Sunday. My name is Ron Huggins Jr., and I am here with... Tony Carter. And Valerie Vidmar. My wonderful co-hosts. We have an exciting show on the docket for you. But before we (laughs) dig into that, let's go through... What did you do this week there, Anthony? Let's see. uh, Yesterday, I went to the zoo with my daughter. Um, The orangutans are leaving the zoo for a little while after spring break. They're making way for new animals. They're going to come back, but they're going to be restructuring the whole monkey. What new animals? We're getting giraffes. We are? Yeah, so we're doing a whole little section of it. I get excited, but not that I've been to the zoo for years. We have a pass, so we go. Marnie loves it, but we have to take a bite to the orangutans. I'm not a big zoo person. Yeah, I think it'll change. It's understandable. It'll change. Giraffes come. Be fun. I I do like giraffes. Um, I like teaching my daughter life skills and learning new things about animals and whatnot, so... We go when we get a chance. I have spring break this week from school, so mm-hmm. that's great. Uh, one funny moment that happened a while ago. We were there, and a mother and her child were wrangling, as I would call it, fighting, and the kid was running away. And the mother told the kid, they're near the elephants, mind you. If you don't stop running away from me, the elephants will eat you. And I took that as a teachable <laughs> moment, and I said, Marnie, elephants don't eat people. Elephants eat plants. And I had death That stairs. was a great teachable moment. I got death stares. Like, parents looked at me like I was Satan. That's funny. But it's true. You'll be gnawed a lot, but you wouldn't die. You'd be in shock. It'll hurt. Elephant sidetrack. Have you seen the video going around on YouTube of the elephant smoking? I have not. It Come ingested on. something in uh, one of these forests that was recently on fire, and they think <gasps> it was like a hot coal. And so they, or not a hot coal, but a coal that was... Uh, smothering? Smothering. And so they got a video of it, and it's just this elephant smoking. Is he oh. okay? She? They, yeah, I don't think they found anything wrong with it. It was just... Smoking. They think that it's something Burning. natural. They think it's something that they naturally do. It's something like medicinal type purpose for them. Well, some monkeys for, do that too. Uh, and we just found this out now? Yeah. Sure There's a lot of things that... Burning that's from the, the thing I out. love about science is that we just start learning new things every day. That like, oh, did you know that they did this? And, and elephants smoke? eat plants. <clears throat> not children. Not children. <laughs> She, I mean, what if the child stampede? is dressed like a plant? I don't know. It would hurt a lot, I think. I told Marnie, the lion right over there will eat you, but not an elephant. Why didn't she use the lion? I... Because she just wasn't thinking. You just popped her head. Elephant will eat you. Will eat you. Stampede you. Or... Anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mothers and fathers scaring their children until compliance. Yesterday, yesterday was a nice day. It was nice and warm. I was able to get out on uh, some trails and get some nice trail running in um, while it was like 28 degrees instead of when it was 54 degrees. But mm-hmm. it was uh, the tail end of the day was nice with the sun and giving me a hint of spring. And the most important thing about this week is that baseball season is back for me. It so is back. It is. I'm a huge baseball fan. and So is Dan Rather. That's what he wrote about. I saw that. <laughs> He was very excited about that. So, 
I love my baseball. Go Red Wings. Go Royals. Kansas City girl. Mm-hmm. What happened in your week there, Valerie? Um, well, Thursday, I went to go see my husband as like a... Your husband's famous. He's, a, he's like a... He's a superstar. He's a rock star. Um, there was a runner's panel at Medved uh, for Chris O'Brien's podcast. Medved being a local running store. Oh, sorry. In Pittsburgh. Yes. Um, yeah, and Chris O'Brien's Running Inside Out podcast. Yeah, so he had a panel of about, what was that, five, six people? Yeah. Mm. Um, and they um, kind of just share stories or share insights about um, their running experiences. So he was there too. <laughs> he had just he just gotten back. I mean, he's lots, he has lots of great things, but he'd just gotten back from running in Utah. With one of his uh, pals, Laura Ruckerth, who did a hundred miler, and uh, <laughs> he'd forgotten his pants. <laughs> that was what they brought up on okay. on air that he forgot his pants. But um, no worries, he didn't run without them. He did pick some up in Walmart. That would have been quite a picture. Yeah, of all the things, I was like, dude, the guy's done. You know, rim to rim to rim and. Berkeley and all that stuff, but let's talk about no pants. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, I've had dreams where I've forgotten my pants, but never an experience where I've actually been to something where I forgot my pants when they're needed. He was distracted. Do you guys carry one pair of pants or do you have like several backups? Uh, It depends on the weather too. It was just uh, where he went was out on Antelope Island out in Utah on Salt Lake. So... As soon as the sun starts dropping out west, it just gets cool. really cold really quick. So you'll be running in shorts, so then you have pants okay. you throw over the top of them or whatnot. At least that's my version of pants. Mine are always throwaway pants that okay. I always have normal shorts on underneath. So even if I forgot my pants, I still have shorts. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you forget both of them. Which seemed to be the case. Or maybe he had shorts. I didn't ask that question. Mm. Uh, well, what did you do? I already did that. You did? I did. did. Yeah. You did some running. Oh, the baseball and the running. You guys, my um, short term is short. (laughs) (laughs) That's very short. Is there a movie like that where like... Is it in 51st Dates or something? I think it's called Finding Nemo. Yes. No, that's... I mean... (laughs) And Dory. (laughs) Dory. And Dory. (laughs) That's fine. It's a good, good movie. Uh, well, we're going to go through, talk about some of the news we care about. Um, it was a little busy week um, between Hollywood and the uh, streaming networks this week. Talk about some of our recommendations of the week. We got Tony coming up first with Wind River. Um, my recommendation review is going to be on Santa Clarita Diet. Good show. And Valerie's is going to be on the movie Columbus. After that, we're going to go into our stew. We're going to talk about the nostalgia of our youth being used for, I don't know, I phrased that wrong. How would you say that? Or being preyed upon. Marketing. Or nostalgia being preyed upon or nostalgia being used for current films and everything coming up right now, which is going to tie right into our film of the week, which is Ready Player One. 
And of course, as usual, go through our what's on a Raider, what's on our queue. So first up, let's go into our wonderful news. I love that, by the way. <laughs> uh, I found like the cheesiest, non-cheesiest news clip thingy I could find, but that's what it is. It works. So the first thing I want to hit upon is Steven Spielberg, a director I highly, highly respect, said some pretty controversial comments this week. Anthony, what did he say? I get where he's coming from, but the guy, well, let me preface this. Let's go backwards. Steven Spielberg has said that he thinks that streaming or video on demand films are TV shows and that they don't belong being nominated for Academy Awards. They should be getting Emmys. Such as Mudbound? Mudbound, The Big Sick. I see. He thinks that they're taking away from the lust or the luster of the true Oscar films that go through things. Um, I think this may be in line for a further discussion in deeper depth, um, but my full line opinion on this right now is, Stephen, I highly respect you, but I wholeheartedly disagree with you. Um, I second that. Times change, films change, the way they get out there change. And if the film industry doesn't adapt, then those films are going to leave the film industry behind and um, the Oscars will basically become a thing of the past. Shame. Um, But he is part of the old guard, a very legendary old guard, but um, I don't know. Well, yeah, like I said, we'll talk about that a little bit later in more depth. What else news is out there? Let's see here. Uh, Saudi Arabia is removing their 35-year ban on cinemas. So our Saudi Arabian friends will be able to watch movies for the first time in 35 years. Wow. Such exciting movies like Pacific Rim 2. <laughs> I mean, there's others, but That's I mean. That's amazing. It is. And then you have a. God. Uh, one of the ones that came out this week, I, I didn't grab the name of the theater. They actually banned I Love Simon. Yes. Where? They, one of the, was it Bangladesh? I think so. Bangladesh, one of those countries over I in that area. I Love Simon or Love Simon? Love Simon. Or Love Simon. Uh, sorry. Okay, no. Love I Simon. The, and they, <sighs> because of the... There's a lot of films banned over there, whether they're yeah. not a lot of them. Like in China, too. It's just not the Middle East. It's just they don't... They think it's propaganda or not culturally relevant to their society. Yeah, they probably don't have any. But woo, women can drive and now we can have movies. And then Netflix. Boom, boom, boom. Carmen San Diego is coming soon. Where in the world? I missed that show. I have never. The kids' seen show that. was awesome. I learned so much on that show. Wasn't it a game? It was game. It was a computer game. It was a, a game show slash kids. No, it was show like a game on. It was a computer game, wasn't it? TV show first. Yeah, but it was TV show first. Oh. Um, I think it was probably on like PBS or WXXI locally. Like Mac and School Bus, but we won't get into that. And the people who did the song and the music is Rockapella. Before they became really famous as an acapella group. Okay. <clears throat> We're crazy. We're pretty crazy TV nerds. So. That's okay. Wishbone is good too. The, the, the song from Where in the World Car- is Carmen Sandiego is I don't know famous. this show. Oh, we have to. I, I should have grabbed a clip for that. <clears throat> Maybe at the end. And also Apple's original TV programming is slated to be 
out by next year, springish, summer, so March-ish, 2019. So they're gonna start their original TV programming, I guess. Like Netflix and Amazon, they're gonna start doing it. We don't even know. Still curious as to what the heck they're planning on doing. It's so <clears> secretive <throat> too. So secretive. I don't know. Because they're always secretive. Yeah. And you can probably only watch it on Apple TV. That's not a plug, by the way. It's just a true thing. I don't even have. I don't have Apple TV. They're they've they've gotten was it one or two shows in so far. I but it's nothing. It it's been like little stuff like. Um, Basically, carpool karaoke type yeah. is one of the shows that they've been doing, but nothing like serious. But we'll I'm see. excited. Legion on FX comes back tomorrow for season two. The show is crazy. Bosch season four uh, just got our announcement for an April 13th release on Amazon, another one of my uh, favorite shows. And that same week, Netflix Lost in Space yes. is coming out. Same. And that looks really, really, really It does. Really good. And Molly Parker's in it from House of Cards and a couple oh. other things. So Handmaid's Tale 2 is coming out April 25th. So I personally find that exciting. But uh, if that, that's on Hulu. Yeah. If I had Hulu, I'd probably watch it. I don't. I got There's a couple Hulu. things on Hulu that I I wish I had the login and had gone for the subscription. Columbus, of, by the way, is on Hulu that I'm going to be reviewing later. But I got um, Hulu sp- specifically for Handmaid's <laughs> Tale. Yeah, that's it was excellent. She's ugh. anyway. And let's see here. What else do we have? You guys have something about oh uh, Roseanne. I didn't. I did not watch the show. I'm going to talk about that later. Oh. Roseanne is all about nostalgia in the '80s too. So we we'll we can't talk about. You can if you. Have, I don't s- care. You don't want to talk about. Did you see it? I didn't see the show. I just heard about her and her love for the president. That's about what I want to talk about. But it, it was polarizing in a little way. But that's what her show there, is. There was an interesting the thing the the reason I want to bring up Roseanne is because there was an interesting article that came out. Uh, I think it was Friday when the show debuted on what Tuesday, Wednesday of this oh. week. But there was something that it was put out that ABC realized that they were missing a huge portion of their market because of how they how it's viewed by a certain point of this population that everything is very. And I promised I didn't want to get too heavy into politics, but this is a show that's going to bring up politics regardless of how we talk about it or not, um, is that a lot of shows are very liberal in their way that they're made. And, well, that's Hollywood and that's the major cities um, tend to veer that way. And ABC is, is the ones I who think so, yes. are behind Roseanne. Um said, oh, there's a huge demographic that we're missing here and they're no longer watching TV. And so that's what spurned them on to creating Roseanne again um, because Roseanne would be a Trump supporter. And so they used that as their key and it was so successful in its opening night that they actually renewed it for a season two already. That's scary. I don't think I've ever heard of a show after one episode that was renewed for a second season. I may be wrong when I say this, but I feel like when Michael J. Fox came back it's with his show. Bin City? No, 
no, it was uh, the Michael J. Fox show that he, when he um, was playing himself. I know what you're talking about. I saw a couple episodes. Of okay, it. but they, I think they did, they bought two seasons up front. And then I think it went off the air, gosh, probably four or five episodes in. Well, but yeah, so I. To briefly touch on the subject of Roseanne is just that. I knew she was going to go there with the, that. It's just a lot of people are not going to want it. But it's not going to be the whole season. It's just they did that to get people to watch. And after this, that goes down, it's just going to be normal Roseanne, which is fine. Um, Tim Allen had a I show like that, too. I don't know about that. You don't Roseanne, think Roseanne, the actual actress, is a very vocal Trump supporter. And I think it's going to play a lot into the show. Because they want to market to a very specific subset of people that will watch it, that'll bring in more viewership that they're missing. Because at the end of the day, it's all about money. Money, 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 money. So, but hey, we'll that's enough about politics for right now. Well, one last thing. Tim Allen did a show, Last Man Standing, which is now on syndication. They, and just got canceled. They canceled it because Tim said something controversial and it was on ABC too. And he's a... Not as vocal Trump supporter, but he said something that ABC execs and the public cried foul about. So I guess what did he? We don't know what he said. I don't. It was like a, something he said. I just my personal feelings on the Roseanne. I'm I'm not a huge fan of shows coming back. Right. There are many shows that I think are deserving of coming back. Roseanne is not one of them. Roseanne was a show that was on during the mid to early '90s. It had its run. Let it be dead. Let it be done. But money again as we'll talk about later in bringing back things from our youth um this was not a show that i watched it was a show my parents watched i didn't watch it it was very felt very hick centered to me and i felt even at that time when my parents were watching is i I didn't feel like you know why why do we have a show that's focused on uh, in terms of like some of the stupid things that they do and they treat like the some of the children are like the son they always treated him like the stupid DJ. Um, he wasn't stupid. It's hard to explain what I'm trying to say. No, I know what like, you're saying. I think. Playing on stereotypes. And... Okay. Yeah. But we'll get into it. Uh, oh, a lot of news here. Um, Fox's New Mutants. We're going to go into a little superhero news here. Yay! New Mutants and Dark Phoenix both got pushed back again to 2019. This is the second time both movies have been pushed back. They're doing complete reshoots, bringing in Antonia Banderas as a bad guy. <laughs> um, this spells a lot of trouble for this because Fox is still in the process of trying to be bought out by Disney. And if this gets dragged out any longer, there's a possibility these two movies are actually going to be dropped off the table completely, even though they say they're not. Um, but when a movie goes into full reshoots like New Mutants has now twice, this will be their second time. Sounds um, scary. Yeah, it's not Like a cool. direction. And for people that were sad that Coulson never came back in the Avengers, he's coming back for Captain Marvel. I cried a little bit. That was a a happy moment. So, and it's hard to explain this to you because Coulson was a lovable character. Everyone liked him. The connections of how all the first couple of Marvel films started connecting together. Played played by? Clark Gregg. Okay. Um, They killed him in the first Avengers First of, yes. first coming, Avengers movie. He's coming back. How? Well, he didn't quite die oh. because he went on to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which is their TV show. Oh, okay. 
but Captain Marvel is actually being set back in the 80s, early 90s. God, this is blowing my mind. So that's why I didn't want to talk about it too much. No, it's fine. So I'm just answering. And in the saddest news of the week, Chris Evans has basically confirmed that after Avengers 4 comes out, he is done. Sad. And he's not only done with the Avengers and Captain America, but basically going to be going on to pursuing directing, which has been his plan for a while. And he's been pushing everything else off so that he doesn't have a plate full of all these other directing things. So currently he's on open up a show on in theater with He'll come to you. the goofy kid from Arrested Development. Oh, Michael Sarah. Yeah. Him and Michael Sarah. So they're, currently on that but he's a, he didn't he direct something recently i think like he did want or is that someone else i'm thinking about but didn't chris direct something that was in tokyo or doesn't surprise me directing theater or directing movies? movies movies he's yeah but he's new you there'll be less of us seeing chris evans on film but more importantly that means captain america's shield is being laid down by him well so so that wraps up our. You should be happy really, for Chris. Oh, for him, sure. he is. But I'm sad for Captain America. I know, but we need to support people who would like to do something more. It's exciting, but also scary. <laughs> okay. Here's the thing: most people don't take actors turning directors seriously, so it'll be interesting to see how he. Ron fares. Howard did okay. The good thing is Difference. there there is a good line of. Um, Actors that have actually turned into being Mel Gibson, right? Uh, I, I'm just throwing out. I'm just throwing them out. Jody, Jody's yes. been sorry. Jody Foster. <laughs> I think child actors do better make better film directors. Sometimes I think since they've been in, in the industry for so long, they can watch and see what works, what doesn't work, and then they change things a little bit. Like Ron Howard was a kid actor, and then he grew up to be a teenage actor. Yeah, and then it became Ron Howard. So, okay. yeah, with Brian Grazer. So, oh yeah, I love Brian Grazer. Well, that wraps up our really, really, really extended, long news segment. But there was a lot of stuff to talk about as we move into April. Um, let's move on to our recommendation list. Up first, Tony with Wind River. I need emergency assistance. The Wind River Indian Reservation. I'm Jane Banner, FBI. Welcome to Wyoming. You by yourself? It's just me. That's Corey Lambert. He's the one who found the body. So, Wind River is about Corey Lambert, who is a veteran tracker who is helping investigate a murder investigation of a Native American woman in Wyoming. And it was on the Wind River Reservation. And we have rookie federal agent, FBI agent, Jane Booker. So we have Jeremy Renner with Elizabeth Olsen with Graham Greene, directed and written by Taylor Sheridan. So what can I say about this film? It's very, very, uh, sorry, atmospheric so i guess i felt very cold watching this film which i guess was the point you have wide open spaces just cold and it's cold outside still right now it's great great location filming very and it felt very real like we were really there with them and we had a couple camera angles where we were like peeking behind corners and trees looking Mm -hmm. at them from a distance and 
that added a lot of eeriness to it. There are a lot of awesome transitions in cinematography. The direction, I think, was top-notch. And it's great seeing, you know, Jeremy and Elizabeth, you know, not do adventure stuff. <laughs> what did they? A.K.A. Hawkeye and Scarlet Witch. They, I think they're great together. They have good chemistry. So, but uh, very good film. Um, I've, I've been watching it for a very long time on, you know, commercials. Is that long? Huh? It sounds like it's that long. I've been watching it for a very long time. No, sorry, sorry. I mean, I've been waiting for it to come on demand. I've been waiting for it to come on Netflix or Amazon because I didn't want to buy it. I mean, the trailers looked exciting, which is great when a trailer makes you want to watch a movie because those really happened for me. So I waited and I saw it and boom. You thought the storyline moved? I think it did. I mean, there's a lot of heart. I mean, we had the father who lost his daughter and then we had another father who lost his daughter, Corey's character. So they had that... It's great seeing cultures come together and just understand common themes like grief or love. And I agree. I I, mean, I love Jeremy Renner. I know he can. He has depth. Now Olsen, she's getting there. I mean, she's a good actress too. But it's great seeing her do something besides. I like her. Yeah, she. I mean, she has her moments. I like. I. I really, really enjoyed this movie as well. I watched it a, a while ago, but I. Yeah. I was just annoyed by the fact that she came to Wyoming in the winter from Vegas with nothing, um, so to speak. Like, she was just dressed for heat. I'm like, what didn't someone say? You're on a plane going to Wyoming. How about you dress more appropriately? But they didn't want to go there, I guess. But uh, The ending moments left you with yes. a lot, yes, which I felt was good. So, um I mean, there are a lot of moments, I call them painting moments when I watch films where you can freeze the frame. It's like a painting. Oh, dude. Wait. Yeah, I understand. Um, the revenge point, spoilers, um, was awesome. And I won't spoil that for you, but it was tasteful and not in a good tasteful way, but vengeance was served. And I think the bad guy got what he deserved. And I hate saying that because I'm not that kind of person. But honestly, I would have done the same thing. Ron, any? Oh, I was just and and when it starts getting into the the more violent parts, you know the 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 scene with John Berthenall, um another yes. Marvel character, <laughs> um, in the trailer, and that scene with them trying to basically rape his girlfriend, yeah. and in just him fighting for his life right. to uh, get through that. I thought it was just like it was pretty honest and real. It didn't feel like it was like over the top. Like okay, this is yeah. This is pretty much what can happen when a whole bunch of guys just getting <laughs> up on you and beat the shit out of you. And right. um, the end, the end scene up on top of the ridge was a yes. I think was, although not justified in law, justified in uh, feeling right for me, mm-hmm. especially when it comes to. But that, that seems, topic that scene is only how long? That's, Two minutes. Yeah. So. I, I you can still watch it. It was great for me too that you saw some real investigating. You saw some real going, behind, you know, going behind the back of the Federals and doing what you want to do. The whole gang up on this is our land. You can do whatever you want to do. Aspect. The whole pepper spray thing was kind of weird for me too. I'm like, this is really can happen. This is showing what really happens. True. When you're not prepared. I mean, she got shot a couple times. She got sprayed. I mean, these things happen, but we never see them on film we see we hear about them on the news but this is actually seeing how errors can cost you your life or just i actually questioned about the pepper spray if she actually got sprayed because it looks so real 
sometimes actors want to be sprayed for real, so they react the right way. The best actress out of the Olsen clan. Yes, I oh, agree. Okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Definitely. I didn't like her in the movie um, Old Boy. With I didn't oh, I like the original. Okay. But the new version, not so much. So. <sighs> Old Boy. I watched Old Boy because it was referred to me. That's a that. That's no a, one told me what it was about. <laughs> that's no an one, island one. <laughs> no, no one told me what that was about. You should watch the old one. I don't want the to. old old boy. I don't. Yes, not Spike Lee, but I the old one, to. the one with the awesome video game like scroll fight scene. God, that sold the movie for me right there. I can't remember. Are we talking did about they, the old boy? Are we talking about the Josh Brolin one? Yes, yes. Yeah. Did, in, did guys, he eat was, the? Oh did he God. eat the thing in the new one? The was it the squid? I think so. That's what you're focusing on. No, I'm just trying to remember if if they had transferred that over because they did. They it was very. Ugh. It was very in line with yeah. everything it was out of the first one. The first one was just a lot more violent. I can't I can't recommend this movie. <laughs> She's talking about old boy. Talking I'm talking about. <laughs> about old boy. I cannot recommend it unless you just want a real shock factor, then watch it. That's why we watch it. Oh God. But the Maybe old one's better. my stomach oh, turned. Recommended it. Jason about flipped out. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, um Justin Hurt. Mm. Uh he is a trainer in town and he loves movies so we were talking he's like oh you should watch old boy it's so good you know i was warned people was that april fools i don't know (laughs) i was like i was like what in the hell am i watching jason which is like what whoa whoa yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't send it as a recommendation to somebody i mean it's okay yeah but it's not something i would say if you like movies like go out and watch you should watch american psycho that's a great. That's no, my I've favorite black it. comedy of all seen time. It, it makes oh me laugh gosh. every time I watch it. It just doesn't meant to be funny, but it is to me. So. No, I've seen that one. I saw it on the big screen. So, I would say watch. Yeah. Wait, wait. I'm getting back to your movie. Wind River. Yeah, yeah Wind, Wind River. River. I would say watch it. Yeah, I. I loved. It. I loved that movie. I really enjoyed it. I'm also in a very small camp of people who like Jeremy Renner. He's a good actor. Um, yeah, he's gonna break out soon. He, he's Tag the one that gets out. mocked as Hawkeye, but. Wait for Tag. I, when Tag comes out, he'll agreed. break out. All of us agreed on a movie. Yeah. Good job. Yeah, I'm I'm really looking forward to Tag. I think that's going to be we should watch a hilarious route yeah. romp. So I had the opportunity to whip through Santa Clarita Diet Season 2. Mom, what are you up to? Oh, just book reading. Are you chewing the post? Mommy's going a little crazy down here, so I need to get out. And I know you're worried I'm going to go out there and kill somebody, but think about all the people I haven't killed. Literally everyone in the world except three people. Santa Clarita Diet, if you haven't watched season one, please go see it. Santa Clarita Diet is Drew Barrymore and Timothy Oliphant as a husband and wife couple that are realtors. And... Something happens, and Drew basically becomes a living dead. Um, but she's perfectly normal, except for the fact that she likes to basically eat people. And have lots and lots of energy. So she uses it in different ways. <laughs> a high amount of energy. Like zombie? Yeah. They call but him she, undead. She's like a normal, like she doesn't look like a zombie. She looks like a completely normal person. But like in the first season, her pinky toe falls off. And it's her dealing with like, her body basically rotting from the inside. Why? How is she back? 
They don't lose. They don't know. They're and they in the course of the season one, and this is what I'm getting to. You interrupted. As I oh, this is what the I course did. of season one and season two is them figuring out where this came from and how to fix it oh. or stop it. And so, basically, in season one, they you learn about all this, and season two is them now trying to figure out its origins and figuring out how to stop it. And Timothy Oliphant's and their daughter is Liv Hewson, who plays Abby, and Skylar Gassando, who plays Eric, the neighbor. A couple of guest stars on the show that are of note, Nathan Fillon, who plays Gary, Joel McHale, and Maggie Lawson. Mm-hmm. Maggie Lawson is one of my favorite uh, character actors. She's from Psych. Awesome show. Um, love the show. Love her. And they play <laughs> con- uh, contending realtors that always show up wherever these two are and so as season two unfolds drew's character um basically starts falling apart her you know um they were trying to figure out why her pinky toe fell off and so they bring in eric who's the super scientist next door neighbor kid to help whip up the or the serum that basically stops her from becoming any worse and also her appetite from becoming any worse and it just goes through just this funny hilarious of them trying to live a normal life, but at the same time hide in the background of them being basically murderers. I mean, they're going out and trying like find, find people. people to kill, and they're trying to set up rules as to who do we kill. Um, and it basically, in this, they kind of narrow it down to a, a Nazi baseball um, team. A Nazi baseball team. It is hilarious because they talk about a lobster tank. How you go into a, a, a restaurant and you have a lobster tank and you get to pick out which lobster you want to have. And she pulls out this postcard and says, here's my lobster tank. And it's just full of all the Nazi baseball players and you get to meet two of them and they kill two of them. And how long are the episodes? Uh, half an hour. Yes. They fly by and go really quickly. You said there's 10. I think there's about 10 per season. I think, I think, I think so. My favorite part of the uh, season two was husband admiring the bookcase. yeah there's this wonderful scene it'll spoil it a little bit but that's how they get introduced to the nazis Nazis is timothy's character is obsessed about making a bookcase in his um, bedroom and using craftsman quality wood and they go over to meet this boyfriend to get back a car and he's admiring this wood case and you keep seeing it and he keeps making comments about the bookcase but at the same time you're seeing the shots of nazi memorabilia a hitler photo a nazi gun and it's just flying over his head and then he takes a step back and drew walks around the corner and you're like oh "Oh." and that's where they start developing the plan of like that nazi lobster tank um (laughs) is that ridiculous the show sounds ridiculous it is ridiculous but it is great If you need some serious fun and you can handle a little bit of like blood and I mean, they're pretty graphic in the, the stuff that happens, but how it happens is hilarious. Do you you laugh out loud? Oh yes. yes. Like you have, there have this semi-serious scene where Abby comes back from trying to get the puke of a Serbian, Serbian, comes back to her house and all of a sudden the Serbian follows her and is there in the kitchen and he's in this making in the middle of making a speech and <laughs> drew opens up the door leaps on him and eats him and all of a sudden the next scene is 
the whole kitchen is just covered in blood and guts and gore. And the whole joke for the next six episodes is like pieces of him being found everywhere. And to make the show even more interesting is in season one, they killed the neighbor who was a police officer. Well, he got replaced by a female police officer who fell in love with his wife. His wife. And so she's investigating the whole series of all these missing people, which makes the whole thing more convoluted. My favorite part about the whole show, however, is one of the characters that was killed off in the first season. I was shocked when he returned. Um, Gary, played by <laughs> Nathan Fillon. You're just giving all the spoilers. I don't care. You can still enjoy it with the spoilers. There's so much that happens that I can spoil as much as I want. But Nathan (laughs) Fillon comes back and has the best role out of the show. And Timothy Oliphant always likes viewing him as a dramatic character. He's such a dramatic character, but he's got such comedic chomps. And the timing and the writing of the show has been phenomenal. I cannot recommend the series enough. But if, like I said, if you haven't seen season one, you will have no idea what's going on in season two. But season two is way better than season one, and season one is pretty good. Okay. So, Very funny. Um, and it's created by Victor Fresco, but I don't know what, I don't know what he's done. done. So this is all new to me. But this is a Netflix original, and this to me shows me like some of that stuff that Netflix can just, you know, it's not based on another property. It's not coming from... Netflix's Marvel world. It is something that is truly original from the ground up. It's an original premise. and So little Gertie got onto a show that her godfather, Steven Spielberg, is not going to be thrilled with. I'm just laughing because Jesus Gertie, right? Drew's, Drew's established herself well. I know. She has. But it's a good time. I mean, it's a really good show. I would, I would say Drew handles herself well most of the time with the comedy she's not the best part of it i think there may have been somebody else that could have been cast that would be better but she's serviceable in her role i think tim helps i just her. think her her timing with comedy is off at times it seems a little bit right. forced whereas timothy's just his com- his it's comedy his physical and voice everything he's the whole package and what, so. the scene this you know you got gary is is pretty much a scene stealer but abby the daughter yes. has some of the best lines and it's her coming to grips learning about like what her family's involved with and her having to deal with this well they ground them in reality too there's this aspect of it where it's reality where it's actually like they're making them accountable for what they're doing it's just not we're murdering people like we have to murder it with discretion and we have to be you know how films just kill people willy-nilly and it's okay, but they're like, no, we can get caught. And our neighbor is a cop, and we keep drawing cops to us, and it's, yeah. it's, it's well, crazy. Well, and that's the key is he's actually got cops on both sides <laughs> in the first season. So cop on one side, that's the sheriff, and the cop that's on the other side, that's the police department, which is his best friend, which they sit around and smoke pot. Right. I have a, uh, I, I'm sorry, I'm having like a brain boing. A brain boring meaning, like I was thinking Drew Barrymore, and then you were talking about um, your love of baseball. I was wondering if you saw Fever Pitch. Mm-hmm. I love Fever Pitch. Yeah, that last scene was actually filmed at Fenway Park with. I saw that when they were, when it was going. I saw when the they won the, the World Series, uh, the lead into the World Series. Fever really Pitch, filmed. Drew Barrymore, and Jimmy Fallon, and it's adorable. You see them running onto the field with cameras. Like, Why is Jimmy Fallon and Drew Barrymore? Like, oh yeah, they're filming a movie. Probably they just yep. ran on the field and. Some people don't watch it because they're Yankee fans, but you can you can watch, watch it. it. You can still watch it. I'm a Jimmy Fallon fan though. 
Well, we are already running long, but we're going to work right say, into Columbus. We kind of got excited with that one. Yeah, I'm going to get the whole speeded up motion from you. I saw you at the hospital. Are you from here? Yeah. You like it here? I'm really interested in architecture. Yeah, I hear this town is quite the mecca. There were nights that my mom just wouldn't come home at all. Mom, it's me. Call me back. How long do I stay here? As long as it takes. Well, um, I watched Columbus, which was a joy. I just want to say, um, how long do I have to stay here? That uh, is actually John Cho, who plays Jen in the movie, and he's speaking to Casey. Um, actually. I mean, Parker Posey, he was talking to at that moment, but um, Parker Posey's in this movie, um, but it's not her. It's not her movie. Uh, John Cho, and I have not seen Haley Lou Richardson before, but um, this is a director, um, Koganaga, and he has done, he did some um, film essays. On some directors like uh, Hitchcock, Wes Anderson, uh, and this is his first full-length film. Um, his cinematographer is uh, Alicia Christian, and this movie is about Jin, uh, John Cho's character, coming back. He is coming to Columbus, Indiana. Uh, that's where the Columbus is referring to. And his father is a, a visiting architecture. Um, he was speaking on architecture and he had uh, fallen ill and he's actually in, in a coma. So he's there to kind of probably end up making decisions, but he's estranged. He hasn't talked to his father. So he's not thrilled to be there. And he meets Casey. Uh, Casey uh, works at the library. She just graduated a year before. She loves architecture. She's kind of an architecture nerdy. Um, And uh, the fact that it's filmed in uh, Columbus is because it's known for its um, lots of modern architecture uh, throughout the city. And I had no idea. The the shots in this movie are gorgeous. And uh, a lot of um, talking about modernism, talking about architecture and how it can affect people. Um, He's um, waiting to figure out what to do with his father, if he's going to pass away or not. And she is taking care of her mother who um, is a recovering well she struggles with drug addiction and uh, the modernism like being a breakaway from the past I feel uh, kind of symbolized her wanting to break away from the past of her mother's addiction her childhood which which was not good Um, but her love for her mother and taking care of her uh, was interesting to uh, we have Jen who has no, he's not happy to be there for his father. 
And in fact, he brings up the fact that if they were at home, that he would have to stay with his father the entire time until he died. Because if you're not with them when they die, um, they, you turn into a ghost. And um, it's, it's more of like a, when I was watching it, I got the feel of Lost in Translation. So if you liked Lost in Translation, uh, kind of the, the rhythm of that movie, um, the beautiful uh, shots in that movie, the way they take time with building characters, I think you would love this movie. I I liked it so much. I actually probably creeped into the top ten movies that I have seen um, ever. Wow. Really? Wow. Yeah. I just I can't say enough about uh, this movie. It's it's just so beautifully shot, and there's some shots that are so cool that poor Jason was so tired, and he was trying to watch this, and he could not keep up, so he passed out. But I was just like wanting to look at this shot, how they're doing this whole shot where there's two mirrors in in uh, where Parker Posey and um, and Jen's character, sorry, John. John Cho. John Cho um, are having a conversation. And it just, you know, you see them pass by, but then all at once they go in and he is in the mirror in the bathroom and she is in the mirror in the living in the living space area so the whole thing takes place there there's a lot of shots where it's taking place right off the screen um there's a lot of stills like you were saying there's like of before about taking stills from movies right. and they could be pic- like paintings or pictures and it's really done gorgeous and the fact that this is his first movie is insane i so we're, I'm looking for great things from him. I'm, I really am. I'm really excited about his future projects, and I think it's wonderful that these uh, actors signed on to do this with this no-name director. I like John Cho a lot. I like where he's come from, from being the background of being a comedian, and really just when he takes on the dramatic roles, being able to ground himself and be a really powerful actor. I yeah I liked I like the fact that this movie uh, develops a relationship between two people who are going through some tough times and how they bond through going and looking at different architecture throughout the city and the relationship that they form which is not. It's it's just like Austin Translation. It's not like a romantic relationship, although they probably grow to love each other and his pushing her to do something more with her life. So, um, yeah, see it. It's on Hulu. I don't know uh, if there's other places you can see it. I watched it on Hulu. So hopefully it will cross over and you'll be able to watch it somewhere else if you don't have it. But definitely, definitely watch it. Cool. All right. Well, those are our recommendations of the week. We are going to take a short break and we will be right back. Hey, you. That's right. I'm talking to you. Insert your ad here. 
That's right. Ever wanted to become part of an ad? Ever have something that really wants to be shared and it's created and made by you? Well, this is your chance. Become part of the Cultural Stew advertising platform. Contact us today. See what we can do for you and what you can do for us. And welcome back. Today, we are having an interesting stew, an interesting movie, basically revolving about preying upon the nostalgia of our childhood. I'm going to specifically focus on the culture that is the 80s and 90s. Um, because that is the stuff that has been poached and brought back into our modern day. I want I wanted to kind of go through like some of the culture that stood out during the 80s and 90s first. So some of the things that we grew up with, we all kind of touched in between the 80s and 90s. Um, you know, things like the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the G.I. Joes, the Transformers. Um that was more movie-oriented. That got turned into movies. Those, oh, yeah. They were things that were happening that were made before they turned into movies. Um, then you have culture pieces such as Ghostbusters, Gremlins. Um, you can kind of play with Indiana Jones in there as part of it. Um, he didn't really get turned into an action figure. Um, but that was a big thing of what happened during the 80s and 90s is stuff that if it could be made into a, a character that you can play with, if it could be put on a lunch pail, if it so. could be put on a, a anything, it would turn into something that became a mainstay of our cultural. Catchphrase, like Goonies. And- yeah, catchphrases as well, those kind of things. Um, but it seems like a lot of our, our cultural, our modern-day cultural references are tied to the 80s and 90s, more so than any other decade before it when it comes to film references. And we have those type things like those um, kid shows that got turned into modern-day movies. You know, you had the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that got turned into now a, a reboot of that, which is another Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. You have Transformers, which got turned into a five- or six-film Bay, Michael Bay mess um, that made tons of money, right. but it's based on these little toy characters from our youth. And at one point in time, they even wanted to take it and make a whole Mattel universe mm-hmm. out of all these different toys. And then you have something like G.I. Joe. What Any other ones that popped up that you can think of from your youth that got turned into a movie? I think that's about it, really. I think that... I I'm mean, sure there's tons more that we're not thinking of. I mean, they're remaking Clue, which is a disaster. What? Yeah. No, they're not. Yeah. No, they're not. Yeah. I was just I talking I forget who was directing it, I am... but it's been slated to be rewritten. <sighs> okay, people. So, and, and so that leads us into kind of like where our next thing is, is taking some of those movies that existed during our youth and making that are them great. over... They were um, already great. One of the prime examples to me is Ghostbusters. Um, right. I yes. thought Ghostbusters, the original Ghostbusters, was fine. Yes. The second one was fun. Yeah. Um, but now in the last couple of years, they've rebooted it again because they thought it would be cool to you know, make it a modern, updated version. I didn't see it. Was you it? You didn't miss much. You didn't miss much. I, d- I didn't like it. And that, I think, is for me, I was tied way too much to the first film. I mean, it was, we went out bowling with the girls the other night and it was playing. And I was like, oh, look, there it is. So you have something like that that's gotten remade. 
Um, I wasn't excited watching the trailer, and I liked the women in the reboot, but I just wasn't me too. fascinated by it. And I'm like, no, but I still watched it, and I was like, mm. I just didn't want to. And even into things that are like um, sagas that were like wrapping up when we were young. You know, you have Star Wars that all three had come out, you know, basically by the time I'd even started watching films. And then we got an extra three in the early 2000s. And now here we have another three. And then we have a whole expanded universe that's now coming off of the Star Wars universe. Indiana Jones, we kind of talked about Indiana Jones 5 is going to be going into filming starting next year. Yes. Um, And then you have the Jurassic Park, uh, which went through a trilogy and then got rebooted two years ago. Or not so much rebooted, but continued two years ago. Well, so to me, like, uh, I didn't, I interrupted you. Continue. No, you're good. Sorry. Um, I was just talking to somebody about the shows that I used to watch, and now I'm realizing that now they're movies. So I used to watch The Hulk, boom, a movie, which I realized that they all became movies. Uh, Dukes of Hazard. That was. Became a comedy farce with Johnny Knoxville. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, like, that was one of my lineups that, thank God, they, they didn't do a fantasy. The A-Squad, Island. 18? 18 came out as 18. a. 18. Yeah. But yeah, Fantasy Island, some, thank God. Yeah. They, and Love Boat didn't. They, they can't. I mean, technically, least. Mission Impossible is a reboot. It's not so much my youth, but oh, it was the true. youth of the decade before. And that's, it's one of the very few that works. older TV shows that got turned into something that was more modern. Well, I thought the Brady Bunch was a reboot when I was watching it as a, in the 90s, but it wasn't really a reboot at all. or a re, It was just basically a making fun of the Brady Bunch and I mean I heard different stories but people say that it was just supposed to make fun of the whole premise of Brady Bunch but putting it in the modern times I guess so they weren't planning on doing anything but make fun of the Brady Bunch and the whole I guess culture around it or the, I the family I itself talking about the Brady Bunch and then a very Brady sequel yeah um, oh. what was who was in that it was Cole and Gary Cole and Gary Coleman was the father yeah oh it must have been a yeah oh uh, Miami Vice Boom. Yeah. 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 It got turned from a TV series that was kind of tongue in cheek with itself to a very, very serious. Gritty mess. Gritty. It was a mess. But I loved the show when I was a kid. So we have a history that's. I think it, it seems like it's now on overdrive in Hollywood that it's just taking stuff that's out of those 80s and 90s and just either because we were raised by tv i mean i was Mm -hmm. we all were i mean don't you think that's why well no it's money but Uh, but they're gonna get the people that were raised by tv you're gonna get the people that were that's i mean leading into i I mean that's why we like these shows that are done well my only problem with coming from a writer's standpoint is that they are taking all these, I mean, you mentioned it earlier, is that we're taking properties already established. I agree. And then, well, we already have an audience for sure, so we'll just put this out. And we're not getting original stories. We're not getting original ideas anymore. And there will come a time when we exhaust all of our comic books where people won't want to see. Yeah, we've gone from a thing where trilogies were the thing. Like yeah. if you made a trilogy, that yes. was it and it lasted the time. And now it's like, oh, those trilogies have now become... Sextologies, yeah, and one's going to turn into a nine non tall. <clears throat> I can't even remember what yeah. the pronunciation would that be. It's getting crazy. But now, 
you have so Goonies is probably one of my favorite 80s films. Me yes. too. I have a very strong connection to that. Me too. Um, you know, come Christmas time, I always put on Gremlins. <laughs> it is one of my favorite Christmas <laughs> films. And it's the first one. I never like really cared too much about the ones after that. I didn't either. Um, but like, it's like no matter what I'm doing, if it pops on, it's like, oh. And I just sit there fondly remembering it. And it draws a lot back to that. And in the last couple of years, you have Netflix popping up with a show like Stranger Things. Right. And it plays a lot on the nostalgia of our youth. Yeah. I mean, but I do you feel like it's in a good way? Because I felt as soon as the credits, I mean, the credits alone were already getting me. You know what I mean? Because of the way they do the lettering, the way they do everything coming, this the music. Um, I don't know. There was something, a way, I loved the fact that because I knew so many different types of scenes in movies um, and how they were put in but not announced like they wouldn't announce it but you know what i'm saying like them walking along the train tracks and the way they're put on there it's you know i'm sorry homage or a yeah i think that's what you call it like a homage homage. yeah to uh yeah um stand by me so we have that i mean you know there's so many different types of things that were I don't know. I found it to almost to be like I was at home watching yeah. the show. And they purposely put the things in there that would make you connect to it. But they didn't and bring it attention to it. They didn't. There are some things that they did bring attention to. Like what? The Dungeons and Dragons thing. Well, yes, sure. But they had to play something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But the, the whole vibe being a very Goonies-esque vibe of these boys getting together and staying together, whether it be Stand By Me, The Goonies. Um, there's a couple other um, kid ones. <laughs> Can I say one thing? Um, going backwards. Sure. So Fright Night was remade with Colin Farrell and the late Anton Yelchin, which wasn't bad, but I wasn't really a fan of that. And I loved Fright Night 1 and 2 growing up. I watched them like every Saturday night. So um, that irritated me a little bit. That they made it, and then Teen Wolf was made into a TV show on MTV, and that's not bad either, but we are basically grabbing, you know, things from the past and pulling them forward, like you said. Um, I'm just hoping we kind of leave, you know, Fright Night alone, and Teen Wolf's doing his thing. I mean, it's working, but... I'm sorry about Fright Night. Yeah, my dad is too. I, uh, yeah. It was cheesy. It was good. It was entertaining. It was as moments. I mean, even Fright Night had nostalgia playing back to old vampire like horror series. I watched. And- there's a movie that is about Dungeons and Dragons and somebody. It was called Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> no, no, no. It's with. Uh, I'm just kidding. Tom that was H- another one that we missed. It's with Tom Hanks, Mo- Monster Mazes and Monsters. Somebody have that. Um, was it Monsters or Mazes or whatever? But Tom Hanks was in it, and I watched that as a kid, and I loved it, and it was crazy scary. Hmm. Um, Not coming to you can find it. I think you can look it up on YouTube, but he's in that movie. Um, All that keeps popping in my head is uh, Monsters with uh, the kid from Wonder Years. Yeah, Fred Savage. Oh, no, no, yeah. no, no. 
But yeah. So uh, anyway, I really enjoyed Stranger Things. Uh, the first season, much more than the second season. That second season was okay. I kept watching, but not like the first season. Was the shine off at that point? Like, was the whole, like, nostalgia fad thing, like, the whole glamour of it over for you? Maybe, and I also feel like that the, um, I didn't, like, where they went with mm. the plot, I guess. So, yeah, but the, I mean, the fact that they even used the people that they used, I mean, they had Sean Astin in there. Winona. Uh, yeah, Winona, and then they had, um, give me his name. Describe. Mama. It's a, um, M.M. Matthew Modine. Thank you very much. There we go. Um, was in it. And, uh, you know, they had, I mean, they're perfectly placed in there. I mean, give me a break here. It's fine. They, they're serviceable in the roles. But it all also, there's so many connections to our youth and Did you, a specific demographic of being able to to, to market that to um and everything sucks is another one that popped up on Netflix recently, and that's a little bit more tied to the '90s. It's teenagers going from junior high into high school, and it's their first year as freshmen in high school, and as the AV club. So there's a lot of nostalgic throwbacks to music, to the styles of the way things were, to catchphrases that were popular. It ends. It's a very good show. I think it's serviceable for what it is. But again, it's the continuation of our culture of taking things from our youth, the demographic of the the 30 to mid forties and making them to something that's popular and helping to drive the, the media industry right now. And mm -hmm. a book that came out in 2011 Mm -hmm. called ready player one is a huge nostalgia throwback. (laughs) That's all it is. Basically, every page has hundreds of nostalgia throwbacks to things from the DeLorean to arcade games to Airplane to Monty Python and the Holy Grail. The Breakfast Club, War Games. I mean. It was was written by a, a man who definitely went through the 80s and loved the 80s for everything it was and wholeheartedly sucked in everything. And especially his love of music for all things Duran Duran and uh, that kind of stuff that just keeps getting brought up. I am, however, not an 80s music fan. So I hear 80s music and I kind of cringe and just want to curl up in a ball. I I um, will admit that I listened to the book because I listened to all of my books. Mm-hmm. And I felt like um, Ernest Cline did a... I, I was entertained... I I liked the fact that it wasn't dumbed down to the point where he had to um, reference the reference. You had to understand where it was coming from and what the actual reference was. Which I liked. Yeah. I liked that. Um, and I, I, I never played a lot of these things. I didn't know if those were correct. Like some of the video games that mm-hmm. he was playing. I don't know if those were real. Video games? Everything, oh. yeah. They're all real. They're all real. Okay, so, um, and I I liked, I don't know if we want to go into what we liked versus. Well, we'll roll right into. There we go. So the movie, the movie uh, announced a couple of years ago 
that Steven Spielberg, the king of 80s films and action adventure, stop shaking your head. I'm sorry. I I cannot stop. (laughs) I shook my head the entire movie. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Steven Spielberg was going to take on this film. Um, And Spielberg, you know, with a very serviceable uh, track line of making really action adventure films that we can connect to. Um, and the music was brought on by Alan Silvestri, um, who particular connection to this film is that he was also the music composer for Back to the Future. And in recent years, Iron Man and the upcoming Avengers Infinity War. The script, although the book was written by Ernest Klein, it is being adapted by Zach Penn, who, side note, is also writing the new Matrix film. Right. And so when somebody is co-writing or they have a second writer or whatever, like the, um, and one of them is actually the author, um, how much does the author have control over the writing? It depends on how the rights were written, but most time when you sell your film rights, it allows the film director and the writer to do whatever they want with the film to make it serviceable as a film. To the public. I realized right. that a lot of the issues that I had were things that they could not control. I will admit that because of cop- because they couldn't go after some of that stuff. And yeah. I, yeah. I mean, my, my opinion of this film versus the book, um, I listened to the book as well. Um, I really thoroughly enjoyed the, the listen I had of the book. My girls tuned in. They listened to it. They didn't understand everything, but and they well, actually we, enjoyed we it. Will Wheaton, another blast from our character past. I enjoyed it. I thought the book was great in that terms. Um, But I think there are some significant flaws in the book that I think the film tried to patch up in what it could do in a two and a half hour film rather than splitting up the film and making several films out of it. Um, For instance, there is not much of a love story in the book. So you have him lusting after a girl he's never seen and right. in the book does never gets to see her until pretty much almost the last page. And that's completely different in the way the film is made. And who she is is completely different. The fact that uh, the way she looks in the book and the way she looks in the movie, totally different. Um, my, my general opinion Um, before we delve in a little deeper, is that if you liked the book and you liked it a lot, you're not going to like the film because they are so different from each other and there was such a restraint into making this into one film that a lot of the things that worked in the book would not have worked on film in such a short amount of time. Okay, I'm going to disagree with one thing. I feel like um, Steven Spielberg you know, got us with his character development. I mean, he got us because we ended up loving E.T., right? I mean, he with Close Encounters and all those things, we had lots of character development here. In this movie, there's none. And I feel like one of the ways that could have been easily translated from the book is how he learned all of this you know, uh, pop culture and he watched all the family ties and he watched all this stuff and it's in his head and he knew it instead of having to walk in, like in the movie, he has to go to what the archives, which is like basically going to the 
library and looking it up or something when he didn't, in the book he had it in his brain, which was cool. I mean, I love that he had all of that and it made him more interesting. He is flat. The character is flat. The actor is flat. I felt like there was nothing going on behind his eyes at all. We don't really know anything about what he was doing or there's no mention of school. I mean, obviously they had school. I mean, how are these kids continuing on to read, write? I don't know. I just felt like the romance was ridiculous, was so fast. And him telling her he loved her within 25 minutes in or 30 minutes in. I don't know. I just, it was so rushed. And the beginning was such a, it's like this CGI blow up everything they could throw at you possible well, at you just came me, at you can i ask a question um ron so and val time is usually said this film is two and a half hours long right yeah um so was this a pacing issue or was this just we need to get everything as fast as possible two and a half i thought it was 209 oh yeah two and a half yeah sorry say this was this a passing pacing issue like did they need to get all this in because of the, the time constraint or was it just you think i think there's so much in the book right because he goes into such descriptive detail in the book right. that it allows your mind to create a lot of stuff in the book in, in a, a perfect way that it doesn't translate over to the amount of time you have in a film. Right. And this film could have been three hours, and I don't think you would have had enough time. Okay. My gut feeling with this, and I know why he didn't, he didn't want to make another um, – film that was going to be a sequel or a trilogy however this is one of the few that i think could have been serviced better by having a two-part film um because it would have allowed a little bit longer time to spend on developing wade's character instead of having to have this really awkward narration over the top of the film basically what you hear on the trailer is the narration for the beginning of the film with a little bit extra added as you mentioned, you should, you don't get to go into like seeing his school thing and the whole premise of how the Easter egg thing is slightly changed. So, you know, he doesn't stumble upon it while, you know, it being on his, the same place as his school. It in turn becomes everybody knows where the first Easter or the first key is and everybody's going for the same thing, but it's, nobody knows how to send it. And it's really weird because it's set as a a racetrack it's but at the same light why was it done like that because it gave them an opportunity to showcase the delorean okay because that's his car and just and the mad you got to show king kong you got to show the t-rex from jurassic park you got to show eye candy okay a bunch of eye candy Uh, stuff show christine within a very small 10 to 15 minute window as they chase after this first key it's like reference, 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 like yeah. just shooting. Oh, the, oh, look, there's the Christine, the car. Oh, well, look, it's Easter egg Bayham. Okay, it's um, interesting. Yeah, it was annoying. But it 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 threw you into that very quickly, rather than how the book kind of takes its time right, into right. getting to the point where really setting up that how important this was to everybody, and how all of a sudden, like 
everybody kind of gave up on the hunt except for this very small class of people leading up to it. And then how this race starts is it's basically a race full of all the Sixers and these Gunters. So it looks like a lot of people are going after this. And we have no idea And in the book, they weren't until he got the first key. Right. And it was one of those, it's a gimmick. It's like, okay, we're going to start the movie and bam, we're right into the action. And I thought, come on, give us, you know, a little credit here. I think that we can build up to a little bit because we had no idea. Audiences don't have time for that anymore. About, we had no idea about why they But again, I mean, you're chasing after three keys. So you've got to tell the story of him getting all three keys. And then you've got to tell the story of the big battle at the end, which Mm -hmm. is slightly changed to um, accommodate what happened with the third key. Stuff that you couldn't fit in. So you kind of take these scenes and you trunicate them down. And I think that's where the major script changes happen. Is there's like, well, if you trunicate this down as possible as you can, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for... All of a sudden, he finds a key on his home, wor- his home schooling world, and then he's ahead on the leaderboard. So they had to create a dramatic way to do it and a way to give a little bit of homage to the book and the way that it just throws out references at willy-nilly. Okay. Um, I've heard a lot of people kind of like, oh, why do we see the T-Rex? Why do we see these new Halo characters when everything was set in the 80s? I can see both sides of it, but at the same time, this is set in 2045, so... There's going to be people creating avatars and doing stuff of modern. You right. can't say that there's not going to be modern video game things in there. I think that was something that Ernest Klein kind of steered away from. He okay. set everything in the 80s and only made it seem like the 80s could exist. But it's 2045. People are going to want Halo characters. You're going to want to see things that remind you of, I mean, at 2045, if you're a 13-year-old kid, the 80s are going to mean nothing to you. Okay. Um. So there's visual things that Spielberg takes a, a, a license with. You don't get a lot of the Star Wars references that you do in the book. They're kind of more of just thrown out in the background. Things that happen, like, you know, there's a lightsaber. There's oh, a, a mention of a Millennium Falcon. There's an X-Wing in the background. Things that aren't thrown in your face. So that was odd to me. But And from what I've read this week, it actually wasn't a licensing issue. He had free reign from Disney to put whatever he wanted from the Star Wars universe in. Oh. He just decided not to. Okay. And even his own films, like <laughs> a big port portion of the book, there I think he actually kind of sort of mocks He's, Spielberg. Oh, he slams him and he um, says that the Temple of Doom. So, is of course, crap. Spielberg isn't going right. to slam himself, but there's not a lot of callbacks to any of Spielberg's film really except for the the T-Rex. Was there any other no. So, I mean, I mean, so was this heavy on show not telling or was it a mixture of both? I mean, I know the novel has a way of it was, it's, well, it's telling. A, I'll, it, I'll so give you an like, example of where something works better than the book. Right. You have the DeLorean. Right. Okay. In the book, it's probably, you know, in the description of the audiobook, it, it went on for quite a time of describing what his DeLorean looked like. Oh, it's got a flux capacitor. It's got. Uh, Ghostbuster decal on the side. It's got Ecto-88 on the back. Um, all these different references that took like 10 paragraphs for him to say it. Well, in the movie, that's literally 30 seconds of screen time. Right. So you're not spending like the time of all that. So that's right, a right. transfer over where, boom, there's a DeLorean. Okay, we're over it. Um, the 
slight Monty Python and the Holy Grail references of the Holy Hand Grenade, the jokes to the Robert Zemeckis Back to the Future um, jokes, um, little things like that are they're thrown in that you yeah. kind of get. Okay. But then there's stuff like the changing scene where Ugh. he flips through like, oh, what am I going to wear today? So he starts out in Prince, right? Mm-hmm. Thank God they didn't say Prince. But then he keeps changing clothes and he'll say. That might have been a licensing thing. He probably couldn't say Prince because Prince well, is good. licensed. <laughs> good. Anyway, sorry. Um, or he didn't know how to say the symbol. <laughs> but, um, that is the infamous growl. I, I got one. I, but then he would say, oh, Simon Le Bon. Or like he kept changing clothes. And what was the final one he ended up with? A bon- buckaroo Banzai. Buckaroo Banzai. And, you know, they have to say it. And then she's like, oh, Buckaroo Banzai. They have to keep for all the – I don't want – they just I, I dumb it down for the audience. and we. Don't. I think there's a fine line though too because he's trying to get in – I mean he's trying to draw new kids and stuff like this. And, I mean, if you're – seriously, if you're only talking about people that are going to understand the reference, you're talking about the 30s and 40s. You want to bring in kids to see this because it is an action-packed. And what is this rated? Do we know? PG, probably. Yeah, PG. I don't. I, I wouldn't even push this into a PG thirteen. So, well, I don't I, even think there was. Actually, I don't know if I didn't. I see might because I kept thinking, could Zoe see this? And I thought, no. I don't even. I don't remember any language or any like extreme violence. I want to look it up. It takes a lot to become a PG thirteen movie nowadays. Now. Yeah. So, Ron, question, um, do you recommend this film? Uh, I'll get there in a second. Not there yet? So another thing that stuck out it is one of the coolest parts of the book, but there's, because of licensing, you know that there's no way this could have happened right. without, like, some serious hoops. Um, in the book, you have these... Um, PG-13. That's really odd that that's PG-13. Um, Sorry. Scene where, like, with the war games... Yes. Um, I forgot what they call them, but they're basically screen sinks. Okay. So to pass a certain level, you have to basically sync the the war game scene. And he goes through that in the book, and that enables him to pass um, to get to a certain level. They didn't do that in the film. Okay. Now, I think that mainly had to deal with the licensing issues because, like, you got to get the War Games license. You've got to get the Holy Grail license, whereas it's much easier just to get the... I think there's a a reference to War Games in passing in dialogue, and there's a reference to the Monty Python and the Holy Grail with a Holy Hand Grenade. I don't think they would have actually been to sync up, but they did get the licensing to actually do The Shining. So a scene that didn't even exist in the book is there. And it actually it's one of the best parts of the film I is agree. the scene where H walks into the bathroom, yeah. the whole bathroom scene with the shining and H has just never seen the shining. So he's completely oblivious to yeah. what is going on. This is funny. And it just turns into this. It, I thought I was that, cracking up I because I'm like, laugh, Oh, this is perfect. Jason hasn't really kind of, I don't know if he's seen it or if he was, but when H comes down and, and you see away, the, oh my the gosh. ball, the ball starts dribbling and lands by H's feet, and yeah. H turns around and starts following the ball, and you're like, "Oh, here come the girls!" So they, I, 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 I did enjoy The Shining. Yeah, I did. That's Stanley, but that shows right? what's that? Stanley Kubrick. It's Kubrick. Yeah. Okay, so that's Spielberg's mentor. Okay. Yeah. Yes. But 
that kind of showed like where those screen syncs could have gone. Right. But I think it would have taken a lot of work. Again, would have been serviceable in a split film. Okay. And that would have led up to a better ending instead of all of a sudden we are just thrown into the basic final attack as they're trying to get into Halliday's Palace. And I thought Halliday's Palace seemed like a, it just was like, oh, this is not anything what I imagined from the book. It seemed more of something like the evil uh, from Lord of the Rings 2 Tower. <laughs> okay. Um, one of the towers out of that. It just felt <laughs> like it was just evil. But speaking of evil, uh, Ben Mendelsohn <laughs> as Sorrento. <sighs> He's been a very busy actor. And I don't think I liked him in this movie. Well, he kept saying those ridiculous lines, but it's not his, his fault. Te- <laughs> not his his fault. teeth bothered me. Like they seemed like they were like super teeth whitener teeth, <laughs> like fake teeth. Like it was almost wearing dentures. They were so white. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I just kept sitting there and I kept shaking my head and I, 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 I was so irritated and it was not that enjoyable to me. It was just a whole bunch of crap kind of throwing at me. And I kind of thought to myself, if Jason weren't here, would I just get up and go? I thought about it. I mean, I just was just like, I'm ready for this to be over now. Just because I was disappointed. But I know you're you're saying it's because I read the book. And I, I think it's a huge part of it. And this leads back to me, like why I tend to avoid reading the books before seeing the film. And I made the mistake of watching this or listening to the book. It maybe it was like six months ago. And I was constantly taken out of it because like, oh, they missed that part from the book. Oh, they missed that part from the book. And I think that ruins my film experience because I like going into a film fresh not really knowing anything outside of what I've seen in the trailer and enjoying it for what it is. And at the end of the day, I, I'm going to say that, hey, if you've read the book, you like the book, you're probably not going to love the film. You may enjoy parts of it. However, if you're going into this completely blind, I think as it stands by itself, it is a very serviceable movie. It is a fun callback to stuff of our youth that is just like, you're like, oh, that's cool. They got the DeLorean in there. Oh, there's the T-Rex, like stuff that you can enjoy, like pointing out and saying, oh, that's fun. That's fun. That's fun. Mm -hmm. But if you've read the book, you're like, really? Why did they do that? Where's the stuff from the 80s stuff? Where's the the Duran Duran music? Where is uh, War Games? You know, stuff that you can constantly keep pulling back from the book. But where are the relationships? I didn't feel like best friends to me. yeah, and and that you know a lot of the book had to deal with you know Wade and H spending time in H's uh, basement thingy or whatever Which it was. Which was cool in the book. Yeah, and then so there's some major changes, but yeah, if if you have no interest in the book or you haven't read the book, I'd say at this point stay away from the book, go see the film, enjoy the film for what it is, because I think you'll enjoy it. Then read the book. And then read the book or listen to the book. And then you can realize what the film could have been. And again, I'll stand by. I think it would have been more serviceable as a two-part film so that they could have spent more time and really worked on the license. I think this film might have been rushed a little bit. And 
you have the the CGI that at, at point is over the top. It also at point doesn't look finished. There's some that is just Agreeable. like drop dead gorgeous. You're like, oh, that is amazing. But I think one of the biggest downflaws is Wade's character looks crappy. He looks like a she cheap, does too. cheap version of a Final Fantasy character. And when mm. Final Fantasy actually feels better and finished, and I went through and I thought that maybe Final Fantasy group might have had something with this, and I think it was just Industrial Light Magic. One of the things that really bothered me, uh, yes, in the in the book he doesn't meet her till the end. So they have them meet very early. And in the book she's, I believe full-figured in the movie she's not she just has like a a birthmark that and i'm thinking okay so we have these you know the good-looking white people in the front and then we have the best friend who's you know we have the minorities in the background that are trying to get these white kids to to win i mean sorry but i had probably dived a little bit too deep there, but it was a little annoying to me. I'm just going to say that. Okay. But I, I just felt like, seriously, why can't you just, you can't even have the characters be similar and talk about, you know, the nostalgia of the 80s is uh, friendships. Friendships were big in the right. movies. And in this one, no. there were There's no, no real connection to anybody or anything i so that was really a disappointment to me so i think that wraps up ready player one oh all right i didn't say cedar ghost i will agree with you i think if you haven't read the book you'll probably have a good time and if you are a kid you should probably see it in 3d because all that stuff's gonna come right at you that's what i was thinking and as a appendix or whatever, appendum to this, uh, I've been digging through the Ready Player One score by Alan Silvestri. It is very big, very loud, very... I think it plays to what Back to the Future is in my memory, not so much as to what the actual sound or music that was composed for Back to the Future. But it feels like that whole, like, uh, you can feel that it was fun. Back to the Future thematic going through it, but it's not actually in the music. Mm-hmm. Um, however, it was used in the film, which is the interesting connection because you have the composer who did that mm. bringing it into the film. It was awesome in the book and then in the movie. Now, can you remind me in the book? The music he... was good in the book? Yeah. The scene? Doesn't he... Okay, what I'm trying to say is the part where they're dancing. Does he break into the whole disco thing in the book? I can't remember. I don't remember that scene playing out like that in the book. Awful. Sorry, I didn't mean to. I'm the interrupter. But I'm going to dig through a couple times through that score a little bit more. Um, But I think it's fun. I think it's a fun score for 2018 lot better than the other scores that I've been listening to this year. So, so rolling into uh, what's on our radar, what's in our queue. Tony. Let's see here. So this week I watched Roseanne, season 10's premiere. The first two episodes aired back to back, which was nice. Uh, 
I would say see it. I mean, it's Roseanne's back, and just to see you saw it. I mean, I was entertained by episode two, not the first episode of the season. Um, I feel comfortable ignoring it and not giving time the, the ratings or money. See, I used to like Roseanne, to so it's kind of hard for me. It's like I used to like her before I got all political. So it's that whole balance of Tim Allen handled it better. I would say it that way, but I don't know. We'll see how long I can last with that. Um, I'll be finishing up the last tycoon on Amazon, and I'll be watching Brian Cranston as Trumbo on Netflix, which will tie into my topic for next week a little bit. Trumbo is the blacklisted writer from Hollywood in the forties and fifties, and he wrote a lot of stuff under different names and won Oscars, but he could never get them because he was blacklisted. So a lot of people went and got his Oscars for him. But I think last year they finally gave him his true credit for writing what he wrote. And I love watching Brian Cranston in dramatic roles. Yes. He is, he was the, the villain in sneaky Pete and it's just, it's fun watching him just take that role and put it's, so much meat behind it. And when he's bad, he can scare the crap out of you. It's good seeing him go from Wally to dentist to Hal and Michael in the middle to Walter and breaking bad to just, He's getting there. He's doing crazy stuff, and I like it. It's my acid reflux. Sorry. That's okay. It happens. I, I thought it was me. So it's I, not burping. I had it. They're both I, hungry. That's usually They're what happens. People. Hungry, hungry. No, my acid reflux just does that every once in a while. I do. I do. It's like so bubbles. Like, is that mine? Um, are you? Yeah, but I mean, that's what I'm going to be doing. So spring break. Woo woo. I'm off. Yeah, spring break means I'm not going to be able to do much, people. And I am a broken record. I can't help it. Because I am tired. By the end of the day, I can't even get in an episode. So I am still trying to finish Man High Castle, and I am sticking to it. Dang it. And um, But I also have been listening to my bestie recommended um, A Little Life. Uh, is that right? Yeah. A Little Life, is, which is by, oh my gosh, Hanya Yagahara. Um, so I've been listening to that book. So um, that's kind of what I'm doing. I'm kind of falling behind here a little bit. But as soon as... As soon as vacation's over, get back there. I'll get, I'll get back in there. I... Uh... I had the opportunity. I, f- I found that um, I can get a seven-day trial for Stars, so I signed up quickly and have been trying to catch up on Counterpart as quickly as possible um, with J.K. Simmons in it, and he is phenomenal. Watching J.K. Simmons play two completely different characters in the film, uh, basically different versions of himself. Um, loving it. I've only three episodes in, um, about an hour each episode, so it's going to take a little bit longer, and hopefully I have enough time before... My time runs out or else I'm going to have to subscribe to Stars to watch the rest of it. But uh, so there's that. Um, still listening to the Jack White album, trying to give it a couple more takes. There's a couple songs I like, but for the most part, the album still just has not grown on me. You want it to, don't you? I want it to. I'm such a Jack White fan, but it's so different from the rest of his stuff. Um, Jack White is very analog in most of the stuff he does. So what usually he records is very... What happens in the moment happens in the moment. So you'll hear mistakes. You'll hear um, it just sounds fuller. And this was his first time using 
um, audio tools to do all of his work. And, you know, so there's electronica, there's uh, made up noise, um, lots of cuts and it just feels different. It doesn't feel like Jack White to me, but it was an experiment for him. And I think as an experiment for him, it works, but is it, is he, is there something going on in his life? Like, I know that sounds silly, but sometimes these albums are surrounded by things that are going on. I'm sure there is. I haven't dug too much into it. I just, it's, it's just a major break from all the music that he's done that I've grown to love. And it's very not as raw to me. It's, it seems way more manufactured mm-hmm. than usual. Um, and then uh, I'm going to give Ready Player One score a couple more listens. Um, like I said, I, I think it's a, a decent score. It's not a great score, but it's a decent score to follow through and listen to. A uh, new podcast uh, revolving f- around film scores actually starts up this week on Ooh. April 3rd by the same guys who did the film score. For, the, for you that were just listening, the film, in quotations, score, um, basically revolving around composers. And those guys are coming out April 3rd with that new podcast. I listened to the preview of it, really liked it. Um, looking forward to it. And in terms of movies, I'm looking forward to A Quiet Place. I'm hoping it Ooh, plays I'm locally. Too. I am um, too. It, it opens up this week. And then Legion coming up tomorrow. And I'm then... Too. That's pretty much it. I've got a huge queue that's going to only be getting larger as like three or four shows open up this week, this month. But have I mentioned my favorite murder podcast? No, okay. I don't think you have. My friend, <laughs> my friend Leslie told me to listen to it, and it is insane. It's very, very funny. It's very adult, but it's just two women basically telling you about. Um, Murders, uh, historically, hmm. how they happen, and but they oddly do it in a fun way. Sounds like my own wife would like that. But it is uh, disturbing. She loves it. She can just give me episodes to to listen to. But um, it's highly entertaining if you want to listen to murder, but in a fun way. She'll like it. That's what she likes to listen to and watch. Oh, do it. She'll she'll love it. Awesome. Well, I think that. Pretty much wraps up our really long show. <laughs> no, <laughs> hopefully Sorry. you stuck around to the end. Um, I think we got a little excited at parts of this, but hey, that's going to happen. Some shows are going to be shorter, some shows are going to be longer, but hopefully we make it entertaining for you. Hey, Tony, where can we find you? Well, I'm at on Twitter at s m t o r c h i o, and I'm all over Facebook. Come find me. You're all over Facebook. I am still. Lots. I, a lot of people are dropping Facebook this I, week. I am, they are, yes. I'm, I'm not one of them yet. I'm thinking about it. I'm just, yeah. So you can find me, PennyLane64. I'm on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find me, as usual, pretty much everywhere as at GF Media or at GF Media CEO. Um, you can follow those links to my Vimeo, my YouTube, see some of my videos that I've been putting out. Um Got a big one that's coming out at the end of this month. Uh, and so that'll be a fun. Cool. You can find us at culturalstew.net or at culturalstew.net on Twitter and culturalstew on Facebook. Yeah. Hop on over there. 
Give us a review. Give us some feedback. Tell us you hate us. Tell us you love us. Tell us something. Let us know you're out there listening. If you don't like it, just send us an email at contact at culturalstew.net. Right, culturalstew.net. <laughs> um, we'll keep it anonymous if you want. We would just love some feedback. If you're listening in iTunes, head on over, give us a review. Um, let us know what kind of job we're doing so that we can better inform how we uh, go about this podcast. All right. Thank you. Catch you next week. The intro and break music is Please Listen Carefully by Jazir, available through the Creative Commons license from Free Music Archive. The outgoing music is provided by Epidemic Sound. Please see our show notes for details on what the outgoing song is and who it is by. And also, as always, if you have a piece of music that you'd like us to play or consider playing, please contact us today. Like what you've heard? Want to continue to hear more? Please consider Patreon. What is Patreon, you ask? Patreon is a content creator support site, a way for people to support the things they love and allow creators to continue creating the content that they love. Please consider heading over to patreon.com slash gfmedia and becoming a Patreon supporter today. <laughs>